We are exhorted in Hebrews 10.25 to not forsake our assembling together. So the question comes up, how do we choose which group to fellowship with? Is there a right or wrong group to be part of? What should we look for in a church leader? Today, Dr. Bill Petrie and his special co-host, James Johnson, will look at this very important subject. have a real good treat for all of you listeners. Uh, today we have on the line with me, uh, Jim Johnson, who's a dear brother coming to us all the way from the United Kingdom. And today's topic, I think, will be one of a lot of interest to many of our listeners. I think a lot of you have questions in, in regards to how to choose what assembly to go to. Uh, Hebrews 10.25 states, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves according as the custom of some is. We know that as believers, we need to be together. And I think it's very important for us to come to some kind of a realization on why we need to be together and the importance of that. So I decided I would get an expert on the topic, somebody whose opinion I, I value a lot, uh, somebody who who is a dear brother and I think has a ton of wisdom to share on this topic, um, wisdom that comes from a knowledge of the word of God and wisdom that comes from uh, a lifetime of experiencing and making these sorts of decisions. So I'd like to introduce you, our speaker, my dear friend and brother, uh, Jim Johnson. How are you today, Jim? I'm very well, thank you, Bill. And um uh, right now it's in the afternoon, but um, uh, you're speaking uh, a, a, a on the other side of the world, and um, so it's earlier, it's morning. But one of the uh, questions that uh, many people ask is, uh, we, you've just mentioned, Bill, Hebrews 10.25, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves according to the custom of some is. Now, if we have just moved to a new area, or perhaps um, uh, we've, we want to know more about God's word and we feel that um, we should attend a, an ecclesia or a church as it's commonly known, how do you choose one? That's, um, a, that's a great question, Jim, because I know a lot of people do struggle with that. Yes. In an urban area, there may be a large choice. If you don't like, like one church, you cross over the road and you join another one. But in remote places like the village I live in, Lincolnshire, there may not be any. When um, my wife and I first came to this village uh, 35 years ago, there were two so-called churches. One was the local parish church, and the other one was a Methodist church. And strangely enough, um, uh, some years ago, say about uh, 50 years ago, there were two chapels, Methodist churches, in the village. Now, there's a hamlet, not even a village, a few miles from here, and they had, uh, and the population has never been more than a hundred people. But they had three Methodist churches apart from the parish church. Wow. So uh, it just shows you that, uh, uh, you know, that a lot of it, of course, was dissent. They didn't sure. agree. I, I, I'm going to tell you the story. I do not know if it was if it is true, but it's the sort of thing that bears out what I'm saying. There were there was a church, which uh, suddenly, when they were studying the scriptures, they found that Christ uh, washed the feet of the disciples in the upper room. And so they thought, we'll start doing that. If Christ did it, if it was good enough for Christ, 
will do it. The unfortunate thing was, there was a split in the understanding of what the scripture said. And there became two churches. One was called the Church of the Left Foot Washing, and the other one was called the Church of the Right Foot Washing. <laughs> now, it's so, it's such a stupid thing that right. I'm loath to believe that it actually happened. But knowing what human nature is like, you know, there might be an element of truth in it. There may. You know, it, it, you bring up a good point, though. Um, a lot of churches really, uh, it, it seems to an outsider that would be looking in, it seems like, wow, Christians really just do not get along and they're just mm -hmm. eager to, to break fellowship with one another. So what are some of the really important decisions that you would need to consider when you're choosing a church? And, and does doctrinal differences play a part of that decision? Well, um, I've got seven points to answer your question, Bilbo. Sure. Uh, before I do that, though, I just want to make this point about the, uh, the scriptures. We imagine that 2,000 years ago, there were no divisions in the, the Jewish uh, faith. Uh, we know that there were the Pharisees and the uh, Sadducees and the Essenes. But amongst each of those groups, there were fact, factions which didn't agree with the rest of their group. But anyway, to answer your question, Bill, I think in order to choose, uh, to make a decision about where to attend, number one is answering the question, is the leadership dictatorial? In other words, they say, when I say jump, you jump. All you've got to do is ask how high. That's number one. Hey, Jim, do you mind if I ask you, what would be one of the major problems with that idea? Um, well, the problem is, it's usually the, uh, the leadership is and it's, it's a sign of a cult, actually, that it has a charismatic leader who is the ultimate authority. But once he uh, is off the scene, whether he dies or is pushed out, then the whole thing comes crashing down. Because uh, it, it'll be the same, say, in Russia, where they're used to being told what to do by a dictatorial uh, leader. Once he's off the scene, people will have just relied entirely upon what they should do. Right. And so, you know, that, it's okay if he's correct, but oftentimes they're not correct on some things. That, that's the point, yeah. Um, but I'll I just mention that um, a bit later, though, Bill. Okay. Uh, the, the next point is does the leadership ignore immoral behavior. I'm not thinking necessarily of the immoral uh, behavior of the ministers or the, the, uh, the, the, the leaders of the church, but would they put up with their membership doing immoral things? And would they follow the, um, the uh, scriptural way of dealing with immoral? Uh, behavior, or would they just let it slide? Okay. Along the same sort of lines, though, is my third point. Does the leadership tolerate gossip? One yeah. of the most destructive things is gossip. And I think we see that when we... Um, uh, in today's world, when uh, when there are comments made on Facebook and Twitter and all the rest of it, it's the the gossip uh, items that seem to be uh, passed on to other people quicker than 
you know, anything else. Right. And fourthly, does the leadership show favoritism? They've got their blue-eyed boys and girls, <laughs> and they're the ones who are in the <laughs> forefront, and it's only their gifts that are being used, forgetting about uh, uh, anybody else. You know, somebody's gift might be as simple as making the teas after the meeting. Sure. But it's still a valid gift of God. Uh, like I mentioned to a, a dear friend of mine uh, in New York State, I said, um, it's a pity we don't realize that it's not just the preacher who does the preaching. Anybody can preach the gospel by their, uh, their behavior. You don't even have to say anything. Even if you just smile at somebody or give them a glass of water uh, when it's necessary, you are uh, preaching the gospel in that sense. That's true. That's a very good point. And um, number five is, does the leadership discipline properly? In other words, again, it follows on from favoritism and uh, immoral behavior. Um, when something is necessary to discipline an individual or even a group of individuals, even if it means that half the congregation leave, they are still going to discipline properly. Because you know, there's an old saying, it only takes one apple to be rotten in a uh, in a bowl of apples for it all to spread <clears throat> and it is so true and the thing is the the uh, the rottenness in the other apples comes very very quickly it's not the sort of thing that takes years to uh, cause the problem right uh, point number six and this is what uh, i think puts some people off the so-called mega churches it seems to be a big problem in the larger churches where they're worried about their salaries and their pensions and their um, standing. Is the leadership more interested in money than shepherding the flock? And, uh, and one of the reasons, uh, if, for example, that every other week there's a sermon about tithing or being generous, <laughs> uh, then uh, you, you could get a hint of what they're really wanting. True. Uh, now, my final point is number seven, and that is, is the leadership an exclusivist elite and they are the only ones with the so-called truth. Uh, you know, there are some churches that believe, for example, and it's uh, if you don't agree with it, then you're no longer a member of the true church. Uh, one example could be the Ten Lost Tribes of Israel. Or it could be some, you know, that Christ returned in 1918 or 14 or whatever it was. Or uh, think of a, a year and that's when it's going to be usually about five years away from here. But in the meantime, um, you know, you better stick with us. Otherwise, you, you will uh, uh, be uh, persecuted and all the rest of it. So um, I've mentioned... Uh, uh, these things about the leadership. But the other important uh, uh, thing to take into account when choosing an ecclesia, and it's equally important, is its teachings. It is one thing to publish a list of the beliefs of that ecclesia, but do they actually teach those beliefs? That's two different issues, isn't it? Yeah. 
Now, when, when uh, they do that, I think it's important, like you said, for us to check, say, if they have a document that's yeah. maybe a, a doctrinal statement. Yeah. But sometimes, like you said, when when it all comes down to it, they they have it published, but they don't really teach it or live by it. Yeah. Uh, and that's more common than you may think, though, Bill. Um, I, I mentioned uh, a silly little thing about the washing of the left foot or the washing of the right foot. But um, uh, a lot of it, though, may not be what, if, for example, you're in a denomination that believes a certain thing. Um, is it because that is what the denomination teaches? And that's come from on high years ago right. historically um, it's one thing to have it as a list of beliefs but do they bother to teach it uh, i'm not saying every week but sure. you know once in a while saying well the reason we believe this particular teaching is because it this is what we understand from the scriptures or is it like the um, the Pharisees who had their oral law apart from the law given through Moses? In other words, do they consider the traditions more important than the Bible? You know, it's interesting because Mark chapter 7 mentions uh, a time frame when Jesus and his apostles came into conflict with the Pharisees over the idea of tradition. Yeah, yeah. And Jesus's conclusion was that by their traditions, they made the word of God of no effect. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, so, so with, when we talk about traditions, I think sometimes a tradition can be something that an individual doesn't even understand where it came from. Right. Yeah. And that's the danger. It may not be biblical, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, uh, you know, every time I think of tradition, though, from the, the Pharisees, though, Bill, I can't help but think of Fiddler on the Roof, <laughs> where Yensa says, not Yensa, um, Kegfer, uh, anyway, the, the, the leading male. Right. He says... And it's all tradition. Why do we have all these traditions? I'll tell you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these traditions, I mean, and of course, they're all rabbinical teachings. And the thing that we've got to remember is that when Christ was preaching, he was preaching in, he was a, he had gone to a, a, a synagogue. Correct. And the synagogue uh, preachers were the Pharisees, and they were the ones who believed in the, the law given to Moses and also the traditions. And there were customs on top of all that. So uh, this is why Christ had to say, you have heard it said. This was a typical rabbinical approach in the synagogue. But I say unto you, and, um, you know, they may quote what other, one other famous rabbi has said in the past, but then the rabbi in that synagogue would say, but I say unto you, it's not that Christ was saying something different. He was bringing a proper understanding of what the original scripture was all about. Right. Uh, so... Although traditions can be, they do give a certain amount of stability. I have no problem with the fact that in America you have the tradition of having the um, presidential, uh, the President's Day or Thanksgiving. I have no problems with that tradition. Right. It doesn't conflict with anything in Scripture. Sure. But uh, if uh, 
you know, you want to go against God's law by quoting tradition or a doctrine. You see, the thing is, traditions in the Old Testament church, or no, I should say in the time of Christ, is exactly the same as a church having a list of doctrines. Right. They're traditions. If they're not careful, they're not quoting line by line what the scriptures say, and that's why we believe it. This is what our denomination has agreed to since the year dot, you know, since we started. Uh, but but uh, there are some things, Bill, that, you know, some people will argue over the tiniest little bit of doctrine. You know, there's the old saying about um, how many angels can dance on the top of a pin or something. <laughs> you know, absolutely stupid. So I won't go into that because some teachings are a matter of opinion. Right. And um, are relatively unimportant. Now, Paul in Romans 14 lists three main areas of disagreement. Doctrines, which I would um, uh, uh, liken to traditions of the Pharisees. Food, and of course there was a very good reason why um, there was an argument about food, because the main place in uh, pagan temples for a butcher's shop was the temple. So you can understand why there'd be an argument about food. And then days, you know, uh, and, um, but Paul does show in Romans 14 how to deal with these sort of controversies. Are they really important? Now, there are some teachings which are so important though, and they're so clearly heretical and contrary to plain scripture, that is a red line. That's why when someone is looking to join an assembly, uh, they should take into account that uh, if they're teaching something that is absolutely contrary to the plain scripture, don't go there. Do you have an example of something that might be um taught in churches today that would qualify as that? Um, I, I suppose it's really to do with the resurrection, Bill. Okay. Uh, um, I, um, um, you know, there are some people, for example, who call themselves pre-tribulationists. -tribula then there's... Uh, the tribulation comes in the middle of a period of time and uh, then we're we're sent up to heaven uh, at the end of the tribulation right. uh, it's not so much that um uh it's a it's a um it's a red line so much as uh are they uh, uh, treating you like you can't possibly be a true believer because you believe in one or the other. Right. You know, it's interesting because in 1 Corinthians 15, the one issue that the Apostle Paul addresses there is that there were individuals who were denying the idea of a resurrection altogether. That, that's right, yeah. And to me, obviously, if you deny the resurrection, you've killed Christianity. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, Bill, I, I did a, a, a Zoom meeting uh, uh, last Sunday, and I showed that if Adam was not the first human being, then if there wasn't a first Adam, there can't be a last Adam. And if, if, if Adam is a sort of uh, word to explain how the whole creation of humankind 
was um, uh, was made. You know, it wasn't Adam as one man. It was Adam as a whole nation created at once. Then there is no resurrection. We're just wasting our time even thinking about Jesus or studying or anything. Because if there isn't the first Adam, there isn't a last Adam. That's true. So, um, now, the other, so far though, Bill, we've mentioned about if you live in a town or a, a large urban area where you could just cross the street if you didn't like the church that you first thought of going to, um, what about if you live in a more remote area? What should the follower of Christ do? But then we've got to consider this. No matter where a believer lives, in town or country, he or she must put into action what they believe. Whether attending an ecclesia or not, we are to obey Christ's command in Matthew 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, that command is not to talk so much that they, can they will glorify God. It's not even seeing you, uh, um, not even knowing you very well, or you haven't even spoken to them. But they can tell by the way that you behave that you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and the glory does not go to that individual. That glory can only go to the Father in heaven. Have, have you ever met any individuals who have ministered in such a way to yourself? Oh yes, oh yeah. Um, uh, the thing is though, Bill, I've got to admit that my, um, my example is not one from a believer. You see, one of the problems we face as Christians when we're talking to people is, is this person I'm talking to a believer? Because they might be a very righteous person, they might help little old ladies cross the street, they may donate to charity, they may do voluntary work, they may lead exemplary lives, but um, the... Um, uh, that doesn't mean to say, though, that they're true believers. That's true. But this is what I'm getting at is this. Um, uh, I have a best buddy called Matthew. And for the last five years, uh, uh, seven years, I th yeah, it's seven years or more, uh, he's brought me. Uh, because I live in a remote area where there isn't a shop to buy food, uh, he brings me bread and milk. And um, otherwise I have a, one of the big supermarkets delivers once a month. And um, <laughs> uh, I, I often say to him something like, um, if something's happened, I'll say to him, you see, Matthew, prayer does work. <laughs> and one day uh, he came and uh, uh, I was just about to say to him, well, uh, I, I prayed because he, he was going through a difficult patch. And when he saw me, he said, do you know what, Jim, that worked out excellent, you know, exactly right. Not the way I thought it should work out, but the way it it did work out. And before I could say anything, he said, you see, Jim, prayers do get answered. <laughs> Which is one of my expressions, you know, to him. That's good. But, it's, it's, but this is the sort of thing that, uh, you know, can help people. Uh, because the best way to preach the gospel is not by ramming scripture down people's throats or by adopting a superior over-righteous attitude right. because one of the signs of a cult is that it's elitist 
It's got this elitist attitude. And they have limited contact with outsiders. Now, if you've got in a if you're in a large ecclesia in a city, and you know you can meet with people just down the road, you know, for a barbecue or whatever, then um, you you might limit uh, who you you're in contact with socially by the people you know from the church. But when you're out in the wilds. You're limited with the number of people that you can contact, but it is still important. It's important not to have this elitist attitude when you're uh, speaking to the unwashed, as we might call it. Right. That's um, true. The other thing that um, uh, uh, a sign of a cult is if they have a weird or wacky belief. You know, it's over a hundred years ago since Christ is supposed to have returned. Right. Jehovah's Witnesses. I don't know how they get around it now, but um, uh, I think there are people who would say, well, that can't be, um, that, that must be weird, believing that Christ is ruling on this earth today when the world is in such a mess, even people who have got absolutely no interest in religion or anything, whether it's um, uh, Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism or whatever, ordinary people are saying, what's happening to this world? Um, we've got earthquakes and tornadoes and unusual weather uh, conditions. Um, we've got war. There isn't a single continent where there isn't a war. There are, um, there are diseases which, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, in the past, um, uh, a lot of people forget that more people died from the Spanish flu after the First World War than died in the First World War. <laughs> yeah, no, it's mind-boggling. And HIV has killed and is killing more people uh, than are likely to um, to die of COVID. In fact, I don't know what the situation is over in the states, Bill, but um, here, because the concentration has been on only having covid sufferers in hospital or being able to see or speak to a doctor people who would normally have got in touch with the medical profession because of their heart or their kidneys or their diabetes or something so it's people will when people are dying when more people are dying of heart attacks than of covid in the entire two or three years of this epidemic, then uh, people are going to say, there are wars and rumours of wars. How can Christ possibly be on his throne ruling the world today? But that's one of the, the uh, weird um, uh, uh, things. But I'll tell you what, though, Bill, despite all this, despite so many wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, the lone believer today has the resources of books, internet websites and YouTube channels and even this um, e even this uh, podcast and I'm so pleased that it's 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 expanding at an exponential rate. It really must be very encouraging for you. It is it is it's um it's exciting when you get contacted by somebody who is starting to see something for the first time. And, you know, I think, I think that's what God would want. He, he wants, he wants ministries to be able to accept people for where they are and take care of their immediate need. Yeah. And, and then, and then from there to, to go into, 
everything else that that individual yeah. has need of. It's hard to proclaim the gospel to somebody if the person is starving. Yeah. You know, we have to take care of those things. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we have got to realize, though, Bill, is everybody is at a different stage of growth. It's like they've just come off the street and they're expected to know everything that the particular ecclesia believes or teaches. Right. But we God is treating us as <laughs> in the kindergarten. At the beginning, he expects, as Paul mentions, us to grow in the grace and in knowledge. The, the thing that we should really bear in mind is that even Christ grew in stature and wisdom. Yes, he did. And, and I think sometimes we forget that point, Jim. Yeah. And, um, but today, okay, so we live in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we may not have the opportunity to fellowship. And even if you're not in the least bit interested in book reading or being on the um, tech uh, business, you know, broadband, etc., most people have got a telephone. It doesn't have to be a smartphone, just an ordinary landline. And just phone up somebody you know who is a believer. True. And um, if anybody's interested in this bill, uh, in contacting me, one of these um, lone believers, uh, I'll, I'll give you permission to let you, them have my email address. Okay. Even if it's just to say, well, what you were saying, Jim, on that post, on that podcast, was a load of old rubbish. And this is where you went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but we should never be afraid to dialogue, especially with those that may not agree with us. Yeah. And I'll go even further than that, Bill. I would say, especially when they disagree with us, because we might be wrong. That's true. We might learn from... Uh, a little child. See, yeah. and I think I think that goes back to one of the other points that you were making earlier in the podcast, though, is the leadership dictatorial. Yeah, yeah. You know, if it is, you can't deviate from that thinking. But really, a true man of God is, is a person that's willing to consider something he or she had never considered before. Yeah. And then adjust their thoughts to whatever the truth is. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I can honestly say I've been blessed that I've known many individuals who have taken that step. You know, they taught one thing, were convinced that they were wrong about it, yeah. and had no qualms about going back and, and changing their belief. Yeah. So, um, I'll tell you what, though, Bill, um, uh, you, you gave a podcast some weeks ago, which I, I understand later on that you did from the top of your head. You didn't have notes, right. but it was so sincere and so to the heart, straight from your heart, that um, one of the great things about it was you admitted you had been wrong and you had to change. Right. And I think I think that's important in any Christian life. It's a sign of growth. Yeah. And um, it can be a humbling thing and it can be a scary oh, thing. You've got to be humble enough to do it, Bill, and you were. Right. I think the thing with it, change is always a scary thing because it means okay. you're going to have to go back and reassess a lot of other areas of Scripture that you've thought. And um, sometimes if you've changed your opinion on one area, it impacts numerous areas, you yeah. know, so, so you have to go back and change all of those areas. And, um, you know, but, I, I've, but I've got some good news for you, Bill. <laughs> um, you, you're quite right in saying that um, 
you have to be willing to change and change is difficult because it's um it's like a a comfort blanket if you like right but apparently the sociologists tell me that uh, if you start a new habit you only have to do it for about two weeks and your new habit becomes your that's what you do you've forgotten about uh, you know the old way you used to do something or the old thing that you used to believe in and you would have really knocked somebody's block off if they had disagreed with you some time ago <laughs> that's an english expression to, uh, to politely say um you would have a fight with them or something right right it may have been physically but it would be in word that's true and again that is another cause of uh, uh, wrong behavior in an ecclesia is where people don't speak to somebody else because i remember five years ago somebody looked at me and scowled <laughs> they didn't even smile or they didn't say thank you when i brought the tea cakes around after the service you know yep yep you know um that that gets me to to another question then yeah differences of opinion within an, a local church or ecclesia are going to be common because we're all different and we all have different ways of thinking that's right yeah. you know so so i think then it gets into the idea within a church or an ecclesia setting um when we talk about weaker or stronger brothers we're talking about those that have yeah. knowledge of the scripture right, yeah. and working of them yeah so what would you see as the responsibility of the stronger brother to the weaker then um they they should realize that they once were in the same position they didn't know everything uh, god doesn't put a funnel in your brain and pours out all the knowledge uh in at once this is but the good news though bill is it happened two thousand years ago as well every single thing that can happen that goes wrong in ecclesia has already been got and the thing is if there hadn't have been problems in the ecclesia two thousand years ago paul wouldn't have needed to write about them that's true we wouldn't have need we wouldn't have known what to do today when the same things happen so if there's a problem don't think about what would um uh, some famous athlete or uh, hollywood star think um go to the scripture see what the apostle paul and the uh, the other uh, disciples uh, uh believed yeah so um that's the good news bill Ed, the answers are there we They're just there. Them. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know, the, in the room i think they call it isn't it yeah is there is there ever a point when you think a doctrinal issue should result in say an individual leaving an, a local ecclesia yeah it's the, the red line uh, bill and um yeah when i went through my points about the leadership and morals of the leadership that is one thing but i think the thing that we've got to remember too just because you found that that particular leadership isn't for you doesn't mean to say that you can't fellowship with individuals who don't go along with what the leadership is teaching oh i'd agree they are believers in the lord jesus christ they are your brothers and sisters whether they are jehovah witnesses or roman catholics or anybody else true um and so you know it it's not a case of um uh, uh not having anything to do with them you shouldn't be crossing the street so that you don't avoid that particular person 
Right. Or move on, if you're on public transport, you move to a different seat so that you're not next to the person. Right. Um, So I I have a question that has arisen in my mind. And and really, what should one do if, say, the fellowship that they've been attending for years suddenly or gradually changes into a new entity and becomes something different? Then um, you've... um, assuming that the new something different bill is contrary to scripture. Right. Uh, You just have to leave because there are red lines. Right. Uh, The Apostle Paul advised uh, Timothy that if they, if some of the things that I've mentioned about um, the Ecclesia occurs, then you are to warn them first privately and then later on you have to announce to the fellowship that because of um, the behavior or whatever or um, spreading gossip or whatever it might be um, then uh, I think you, it, the, the elders should say to the Ecclesia, some idea of what it is. You don't have to go into all the details. You know, it's not going to be published in the Sunday papers or the um, the gossip magazines. Right. Uh, but people need to know because they might get embarrassed. That's true. Uh, you know, if they they say to somebody. Um, uh, I haven't seen you for a while, you know. Um, I thought you might have died or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's got to be done with kindness, but also with proper discipline. You see, there's discipline and there's discipline. If you're in the Russian army, as I understand it, discipline is just bashing around people for no particular reason, you know, if they're a recruit. Right. To have a good army, you need to have discipline, but it needs to be reasonable and uh, proportionate to what is happening. Right. Uh, or what the person has done or not done. But so, uh, yeah. I, I think every case is different, Bill. I, I agree. I guess with the church, sometimes. You know, as a person grows and they learn more of Scripture, then they they may change from, say, their doctrinal statement that they had published when you first attended to something that's different. But that different is an alignment yeah. where, where before they weren't, and that's just growth. But then there's also change, like you said, that can be um, a negative change. They may come to a truth on a topic that really is a red line. Yeah. And at that point, then you do have to make those decisions. And like you said, keep in mind, they are still brothers and sisters. That's right, yeah. But the thing is, though, Bill, um, if I've remembered correctly, you've been in a similar situation. I have. The advice that I'm going to mention, and that is you go to the leadership you explain the the position, and if if they really believe what they're teaching, they should be able to explain to you why they believe or teach what they do teach. But if they can't refute what you're saying, uh, then that is the time to um, say arrivederci. Right. Exactly. And I think, you know, I think when you when you make those decisions, you have to put a lot of prayer into it as well. Oh, yeah. And fasting. And fasting. Absolutely. And I think I think as you do that, uh, the Lord will give you clarity of mind so that you can you can really lay out the truth of God's word in a way that you may not be able to do it beforehand. That's right. Um, you know, I think one of the 
one of the things is sometimes individuals lose faith in God um, in, when these kinds of issues come up. And uh, sometimes they become God's opponents yeah. in, in the faith. Yeah. But again, they're still children of God and they're still his. Yeah. I think what every preacher needs to remember, though, Bill, is this. They have more responsibility and they're going to be accounted stricter than an ordinary Joe who's sitting in the pews. Right. And um, it's frightening. <laughs> Sometimes I think, Jim, why do you preach? You shouldn't do it because supposing you're preaching error. Well, you know, there's a responsibility. We're, we're, there's, there's not going to be a single person, a single believer, I'm not just including um, uh, preachers, who's going to be told, you mean to say you believe that? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I think there's going to be a queue of people wanting to speak to the Apostle Paul, uh, you know, about what he really meant by, you know, something. But sure. um, uh, I think the Apostle Paul and the others will also be queuing up to speak to Christ <laughs> and say, uh, you know, and they'll have to be embarrassed. They'll be blushing, I think, when they have to say, well, that's what I thought, <laughs> you know. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. So I think there'll be a few red faces. Yeah, I think there'll be a lot of, <laughs> now I get it. Direction, yeah. <laughs> uh. Anyway, Bill, um, uh, uh, do you have any more questions that this font of knowledge will be able to answer? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I actually just have, have one before we close our, our podcast yeah. here. I wanted to give you a chance to um, maybe tell us a little bit of some of the things that you're doing. And uh, I know you have a conference coming up in the very near future. Yeah. Um, by the time this airs, it'll probably be past the date for that. Yeah. But, but, um, but they have it every year, I guess. And, and normally you're a speaker at that. Um, yeah. So maybe you could just let us in a, a little bit on, um, you know, what you're doing right now in yeah. your ministry yeah. and, and who you're who you're fellowshipping with. Yeah. Well, there's a village um, about six miles north of here, Bill, where they did ask me to preach there every about every six weeks, which I was okay. to do, and they seem to like it. Um, but. Um, uh, one, uh, I preached there one Sunday and the minister came to see me the day after. Oh no, it was two days after. And he said to me, we had a members meeting last night and there was a couple there that said, next time when they know that uh, I'm preaching, that they won't attend. Oh, and I said, well, why is that? Have I been preaching something wrong, unbiblical or anything? Oh, no, no, it's not that, he said. Um, they said, you talk too long. <laughs> well, most of my talks were about 25 to 30 minutes. Wow. And they couldn't say, well, you know, you said this comes from First Timothy 3 or whatever. Right. It was, um, well... We had to go back for, for, you know, we wanted the tea break later on, you know. Um, so, th to my mind, they weren't really interested in hearing God's word. Right. I right. don't think anything else, to my way of thinking, anyway. Sure. So, I was really hurt by that, Bill. And so, uh, that was about last September. And um, then there was COVID anyway. And um, let me see, um, a couple of months ago, the pastor came to visit me again and he said, I want you to consider, Jim, um, speaking at our place um, again. 
So after talk, I said, well, yeah, okay, but what I'll do is I'll make sure that I don't talk too long. <laughs> now, at the conference, which is next Saturday morning, I'm speaking at 10 o'clock uh, English, uh, you know, British time. Sure. Um, the talk I'm giving is entitled Jesus Was and Is a Jew, right? Sure. And um, so I thought, oh, now I don't think that this particular talk will last more than 30 minutes. My time slot, including prayer and singing a hymn, is 40 minutes. So what I'll do, I'll split it in two. I'll have Jesus is a, is, was and is a Jew, part one. That could be one week. And then six weeks later, they can have part two. There you go. So um, actually, it was a sort of dry run for the conference next week. And I was amazed that they found it interesting. Uh, it wasn't a case of I was fishing for compliments, Bill. It was a case of they genuinely had learned something and it was interesting. That's good. So... Uh, and then, of course, um, I, I felt the same with um, uh, the Open Bible Fellowship in Brockport. And so I, I hadn't been preaching there for over a year. And then on, that was broken last Sunday when I uh, went on Zoom from my home gym. <laughs> And one of the reasons was because my subject was um, uh, uh, bodily exercise. You know, from First Timothy chapter four, which talks about that bodily exercise is um, of little value. Right. And then, of course, I had to quote the old saying: "A text out of context is a pretext." It doesn't mean to say that oh, because of that scripture. We, we shouldn't do any exercising. I got a lovely email from a lady to say that um, she was pleased I didn't uh, have my workout with uh, barbells <laughs> while I was doing it. But uh, yeah, uh, but it seemed to have gone down very well. I know there's an expression, there's a word which everybody seems to use these days, but I got quite a few good awesomes it was awesome jim <laughs> <laughs> so um we'll see that's good how it goes that's very good well i want to thank you for joining me today jim and uh you know we're, we'll have to have you on again at some point in the future and we can have another really interesting conversation about a different topic yeah, um, yeah. but hopefully hopefully Today's topic on how to choose a church or an ecclesia um, has been something that will really benefit I hope so. a lot of people. I wouldn't have done it otherwise, but it, yeah, I wouldn't have wasted your time and the people's time either. Well, I don't think I don't think anything you have to say would ever be a waste of time, Jim. So <laughs> thank you, thank, thank but, uh, you for your kind words. I, I kind of laugh. Today we really do have the international flavor, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, one of the comments I got one time when I was on Zoom with um, with you, Bill, on a Wednesday at midnight here was, I just love that English accent. <laughs> <laughs> See? It, and hopefully somebody in uh, England likes our American accent. <laughs> well... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, on that note, I, I do want to wish everybody a good day. And God bless. And we'll see you next week. We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org. 
do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast. (laughs) 